wherever I am about to this, in whatever reality, all those moments between us were real, and they will always be ours. Good evening everybody and welcome to Let's Talk Assassin's Creed, the only one podcast for all things Assassin's Creed. Good evening everybody and welcome to episode 154 of Let's Talk Assassin's Creed. We are going off topic uh, in this episode, but before we get into the topic, let's welcome our special guest, Lucy, aka FetchQuester. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And it's great to have you here as well. And I really appreciate that you uh, you accepted the invite because I was definitely keen on having more um, input and opinions on this one. Uh, Lucy, tell us a bit about yourself. <laughs> You say that now, James, but by the end of the show, you might think, oh, God, why did I invite her? Well, (laughs) let's, I'll tell you, I'll I'll give you a, uh, I'll give you like an emotion check at the end. Oh, oh, great. Like those little devices that you have at the end of Ikea. (laughs) Oh, at the smiley face. face. (laughs) No worries. No worries. Um, Well, I guess a, a brief summary would be. Uh, I started playing video games when I was quite young and fascinated with the ability to do something interactive on a screen. (laughs) This was kind of mesmerizing for me. And I started out uh, with the LucasArts graphic adventures and the Apogee platformers uh, because I am that old. (laughs) And then when I got a little bit older, my brother bought me my first console, a PlayStation, and I started playing games like Civilization, a few sports games. And when I returned to PC gaming, it was RTS and City Builders and things like that. And then in 2014, uh, roughly, is when I started to play Skyrim. And that exploded my mind. <laughs> I don't know how else to phrase it. It was just such an open expansive game and I fell in love with the fact that you can determine the direction of the narrative the trajectory of your character arc and you can become completely involved in a world which has its own conflicts and its own history and that's when video games revealed themselves to me not just as an interactive form of entertainment but as a powerful storytelling medium and a venue to ask philosophical questions and challenge your own belief systems. And ever since then, I've been really interested in uh, in video games and their capacity to do that. So that's kind of uh, where I am today with that and, and exploring that. And I think this topic kind of connects with all of that um, because do you know what, Declan? This choice will have consequences. A lot of consequences. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> what are we talking about, Declan? Before I tell you what we're talking about, I like the fact that Lucy just skated over the most important part of Skyrim. And that is, nobody cares about the RPG or the dragons or anything. It is literally the biggest hoarding simulator in history. If it's not nailed down <laughs> in Skyrim, you can steal it. It is... There is, um, you know how you can hold objects up in front of you? Yes. Apparently if you hold a plate up in River Run and then run it a wall, it will glitch through the wall and you can pick up a developer's chest and it's been there yes. forever. <laughs> yes. I just like how you can just do 
nobody plays the game for like logical reasons. We steal stuff, we hoard it, and we run into walls for free loot. And cheese. Oh, and cheese, yes. Yeah. Why cheese? Yeah. Cheese. <laughs> cheese. Small cheese. confession, never played Skyrim. <gasps> My heart. Oh. I can't go on. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> okay. Sacrilege. Well, this is a good question. How much of a game do you have to have played before you can say, I played that game? I have been on the wooden cart that trundles down the hill and the guy (laughs) says, hey, you're awake or whatever that opening monologue is. And I got to the point where it was character selection, which I think is after the dragon attack or before Before. the dragon attack. Mm -hmm. And I I just couldn't really work. It sounds really dumb. I was so confused. That I just turned it off. <laughs> I, 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 I'd never played that kind of game before. Um, mm. I had, like you, Lucy, I'd only played RTS games, um, like the Total War series and various flight oh, sims and driving so sims, and just, 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 yeah, my brain's like, no, nope, don't get it. <laughs> and I never went back to it. So I don't think I can really count that as playing um, Skyrim. So yeah, I will hand in my gamer card um, at the end of the recording. <laughs> Well, one game you have played, and it's the topic of today's episode, and I think I do Wait, feel. Wait, is ra- that your segue? That, that is, is my smooth. segue. <laughs> oh, hey, that is smooth. Check that yeah. out. I've been doing you just show- leveled up in speechcraft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after three years, you learn some tricks, especially when you talk to yourself <laughs> for the first year. You learn how to segue your own. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, onto that segue. Um. This week's topic is kind of a good one because every so often we will be doing these off-topic chats because I did actually want to start a new podcast on gaming outside of AC, but it's actually better to do these off-topic chats where we can do gaming talk outside of AC every three, three or four months. So that's why today's episode is about Life is Strange, one of the most inspirational amazing heartbreaking and i locked myself in a dark closet after the first no second chapter of life strange one and it literally yeah i don't think i would play life strange one without a good cup of tea and a blanket (laughs) indeed and there is a bit of a story here because um when was it it was last summer and i can't remember how you and i were talking about it maybe I don't remember how the conversation came up, but you said to me, Declan, you need to play Life is Strange True Colours. Um, and I think you might have also said to me, you need to play Tell Me Why, which is not part of the Life is Strange story, but it's another graphic adventure style game by um, Don't Nod. Um, and I looked at True Colours and I saw that it was the most recent release in a you know quite a long franchise. So I thought, all right. I'm I'm definitely I, I'd reached the end of my Assassin's Creed marathon, um, and I was definitely in the market for trying new types of games. Um, and I think this is still the case on Steam. You can get Episode One of Life is Strange, the original game, for free. Mm. So I thought, all right, I'll add that to my Steam library and come back to it later. And uh, my mind is fuzzy. I probably started playing it in October last year and i have to say i was completely hooked i was fascinated by the game i mean you know we normally talk about assassins leaping off of roofs and stabbing 
Templars. And this is as far from that as a game can be, really. <laughs> um, and within sort of an hour or even less than that, I was fascinated by the... We obviously, we should put a spoiler warning here. We are going to be spoiling stories, mechanics, characters for all of the games in this um, in this franchise. Um, I was fascinated by the time rewind mechanic, the way that you can change how you interact with people and explore. Um, mm. Yeah, I was completely hooked. And I, I played that game. I went, As soon as I finished episode one, I went and bought the other five because it's an episodic game. So you, at the time, it was released a few months apart, I think, each episode. But of course, I went and bought them all. Um, <laughs> I played that game obsessively <laughs> over a couple of weeks. And yeah, I was absolutely engrossed and hooked. Um, and then in the Steam sale last end of last year, I went and added the rest of the franchise to my library. So it's all your fault, Declan, basically. Um, yeah. I I take pride in this. And I actually know why it came about. Um, it came about because I wanted to do a topic on how Tell Me Why could influence Assassin's Creed, mm. which we'll get to that later on. But also why could Assassin's Creed tell a really deep narrative story in the same way as Life is Strange. Like that was my whole point. Could Assassin's Creed do this same thing and just tell a really strong narrative story? Probably not, but because <laughs> Life is Strange will break your heart. It will. It absolutely will. Um, do you want to give us like the the story? summary or maybe even just a character summary of, of the protagonist that we we play as lucy oh max caulfield mm. and life is strange uh well i probably should tell everyone that i've not actually played the full game i have watched a playthrough of the full game so i am familiar with what happens um i've never really thought about max as a character that i can relate to a lot um she's someone who is haunted by inaction. That's the best way that I can describe her. She's someone who is passive and neutral. And I suppose that a lot of what culminates in Life is Strange is the result of this passivity, right? She doesn't take action when she should. And this plays into her relationship with Chloe. Um, she's an artistic person. She connects very deeply with the world around her. She's very reflective. She's an overthinker, and maybe she has a parallel with <laughs> <Yes>. Hamlet <laughs> in that she does procrastinate because she feels so weighed down by the gravity of things around her. I don't know if that's a, if you would agree with that summary of her character. I hope I haven't been too reductive towards her because she's a great person as well. She's just like a lot of the Life is Strange characters coming to terms with the world around her and adjusting to different environments when she's going through a pretty vulnerable time of her life and considering the kinds of situations she faces in the games um, or in that particular game, obviously, it's extremely daunting. So anyone mm. who can endure that and come out of it, especially at that age, that's quite commendable, I think. I... I think I I enjoyed. I think what hooked me on the game was she's a rather socially awkward, introverted mm. nerd, and that was yeah. me <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a late teenager. 
Um, so I was like, yeah, I, I can be this person. I see the world the way she sees the world. Um, I, I found the inner monologue just fascinating. You know, the, yes. the constant exploration. And it's a game that encourages you to walk to, and because you just walk. There's no action. Well, there is, but you don't, you just walk everywhere. Um, and you can interact with so many objects. There's a story behind everything. As you say, she's constantly analyzing and reflecting um, on the world around her. Um, and that first chapter builds up to uh, an event with, as you say, with her, her childhood friend, Chloe. Gotta say, yeah. Chloe Price, what a pillar oh. of strength. Everything she has oh, been gosh. through, um, mm-hmm. especially which you, you see more of that in, in the next game in the series, which is called Before the Storm. Um, yeah, she's a bit of a legend. I gotta say, Chloe is. Um, <laughs> she is. But um, yeah, I was I was hooked by this this um, by the character, by the monologue. Now, what's interesting, and I've 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 read this criticism in subsequent reviews, is that the game was written by middle-aged men, really? and it's a game about yes, yes, it's a game about. Teenagers and set up. Apparently, I don't know. I'm not. A te- I haven't been a teenager for a long time. Um, but it's a story about two middle aged uh, sorry, two middle aged two late teen women. Um, so I don't know whether the dialogue make might come across as cringy or incorrect for, yeah. for some players. For me, it was it was fine, but it's certainly a criticism or, or an angle that's worth thinking about. Yeah. Um. Damn it, I forgot on my point on where I was going. But I suppose I'll just conclude by saying that um, I found, yeah, the, the the dialogue, the characters, the way the stories were told, because you can interact with all the characters and have repeat conversations. And you can go down many different branches of of conversation. Um, I found it just, just fantastic. Um, I love, I, I want to talk very briefly about the watercolour art style as well. Mm. Um there's a phrase I, I think of often when I'm when I'm seeing games that have really interesting art styles. Um, I don't know if it's a quote from somewhere, but may, maybe it is. Um, there there used to be a YouTube channel um, which did video essays about filmmaking called Every Frame a Painting. Um, it's not been active for, for many years, but all their their content is still available. It's fast. It's fantastic. But this is a game that reminds me of that phrase. Every frame is a painting. The world is so beautiful and it's kind of, it's yeah. very peaceful, at least early on before the, the drama <laughs> kicks off. Um, it, it, it really feels like a game where you could just walk and listen to the ambient sounds, watch the sunlight, mm. um, look at the birds flying overhead. Um, it, it could almost be, uh, what's the right word? Um, almost meditative, um, yes. just walking around and, and exploring. Um but yeah, the drama soon kicks in, and I want to go right to the end for both of you. Um, oh God! The story sort of involves the disappearance of a character called Rachel Amber. It reunites Max and Chloe, who were childhood friends, and they they resolve to work together and help each other and, and um, find out what happened to Rachel. Uh, and the game has this under undercurrent of. As Max explores her time rewind ability, the more she uses it, the more she affects the world around her. Um, and we start to go down some very dark kind of branches, if you like, in the timeline as we as we see her consequences of her actions and her yeah. decisions, our decisions. What I'm curious for you both at the end is 
You're given a choice. Now, we've already done a spoiler warning, so we're getting into it. You're given a choice to, to resolve the, the storm that you've created. Do you sacrifice the town or do you sacrifice Chloe? What did you, Declan, first, what did you choose? So this is actually a hard question for me to answer because I've actually 100%ed Life is Strange. I chose oh, both so answers. Nice. Okay. I've I not got, gone back, so I've just done it once. Go on. But I chose to save Chloe first okay. because of the philosophical debate where if you're on a runaway train and you could either save everyone on board by hitting one person or you could avoid that one person and everyone on the train dies. So it's that argument what, what works and I valued at that point Chloe's life more than the town too. So it was a sacrifice for a town for one life because in my philosophical argument, a lot of the people in town have lived and they've got memories and stories to tell, whereas Chloe never did. She still had so many stories to tell, so she deserved to have those stories to be told. Okay. And then I chose the other option and sorry to say, but I think the other option actually works more for the character than saving Chloe because you actually see a butterfly on Chloe's coffin and it really ties that whole narrative of the butterflies and it actually feels more impactful and more that everything you do you cannot beat time everything has to end and that just hits so hard Mm. what did you choose Lucy I love Declan. Oh, you, ha- you haven't got to the end, have you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I know the ending. Um, yeah. I watched the ending and quaked and shook and had tears streaming down my face <laughs> for a few hours after. Um, I love the argument that Declan made because it is the trolley problem. And this problem comes out of the ether every every few months in some form of medium. And it's being constantly asked. And it's obviously... Um, problematic because it's a very simplified view of what is comprised of several different aspects you know like we we ask about the value of the people who live in the town and like Declan said they've had a chance to live their life Um, we can ask about the value of Chloe who perhaps now that her character has reached a kind of resolution she's someone who could return to STEM uh, because she was quite prolific in chemistry I think and maybe we ask what has the world lost when we take someone like Chloe out of the world? And that's not just because of her, uh, her academic and intellectual abilities, but she's someone who has a lot of wisdom as well. Um, But I think um, again, like Declan said, it does fit into the narrative a little bit more, um, a little bit more smoothly when we do sacrifice uh, Chloe, sadly. And I, again, I, I do have trouble with that argument <laughs> because it's not that simple. A consequentialist or a utilitarian would say it's the greater good to do this, but we're still weighing up the value of life. And I think a lot of people would prefer to actually sacrifice Max, but maybe that's too easy. Ooh, that's a good point. Sacrificing Max, in my opinion, would be the 
<clears throat> not to sound harsh, but it's like the get out of free jail card. Yeah. If, yeah. Exactly. If, if by saying by no no offense to people who debate the story and everything, but if someone says if Max was not in the picture, then none of it would happen. But then that takes away the whole thing that Ruby was lost. It was Max and Chloe together. That yes. Chloe got closure because Chloe loved her. So Chloe got closure. Chloe knew stuff. And it's effective yes. by saying if Max wasn't there, blah, blah, blah. You then deprive Chloe of so much life and so many yeah. memories she would never have gotten. And I think that's what makes the final choice of sacrificing Chloe most heartrending because every memory you've made will always live with Max in some form of timeline, but it will never live for Chloe. I think that's why taking Max out of the equation is never a good answer because Max needs to grow. She has these abilities, but she needs to grow in herself that she cannot bend time to fit every whim because time will eventually catch up to her. So it's a good lesson for her to know that she can't play God. And grow as a character as well, because she's learning that in action is a form of action. You have to take a stance. And I know James has talked about this before. Max ghosting Chloe had a very difficult time in her life. It's something that is almost unforgivable. I can sort of understand why she does it. She's adjusting to a new life and probably feels guilt about leaving Chloe. So she, she, excuse me, she shuts down, um, before she's able to address what Chloe is going through. But I think like a lot of the Life is Strange games, they're taking a superpower and they're using it as a kind of conduit for emotional growth and character growth. And it's really what we do with that superpower and how we have a relationship between the other characters in the story regarding that superpower that counts, Um, whether we use it for good, whether we let others exploit it, which we see in Life is Strange too. So... Um, We do see Max reach a a very pivotal point in her life by the end of the game, which is kind of the point, as well as celebrating a beautiful love story between uh, what you could consider soulmates, maybe platonic or sapphic, it it doesn't matter. They're both clearly people who were meant to be in each other's lives. Yeah, I I don't have any... um intelligent follow-up to that i i may have uh, (laughs) no i'm 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 just thinking through what you've both said and yeah um it's it's funny when i when i got to the end that the game is asking you to make a choice or asking max to make a choice yeah um and let me think this through one thought I've, i've had is if you played before the storm first, before the storm is a, it tells a prequel story. I wonder how you how you'd feel about the characters, especially Max. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to go back to to Life is Strange, um, I felt like the game was was nudging you towards. I don't know actually. See, even now I'm doubting my doubting my thought process. I think about halfway through, I decided that my goal as Max was to protect Chloe Price, to save Chloe Price. Mm. Um, Not that Max leaving, because Max had left the town a number of years before and and kind of dropped contact and Chloe was was, was 
badly affected by that. We see that a lot explored in, in Before the Storm. Um, but that I, I think I kind of, I set that as my goal. Um, I perhaps motivated by a desire to kind of, what's the right word, atone for walking away. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is when you get that final choice, I did, and, and it's, it's interesting because I think the when when you finish the, each episode, you get a page with all of your choices, and then you get like the commute all of the players' choices, so you can see okay, thirty percent pick this, but you picked the other or or whatever, which I find fascinating. And yeah. I think that final choice is very finely balanced. I think it's something like forty nine to fifty one or or something like that. Which probably means they did a very good job of providing balanced choices and a hard decision. Um, but I, I felt that the option to sacrifice the town was easier because most of the people you you don't have any personal connection to them, um, apart from a few. Joyce, um, sadly, I didn't have a connection to Kate because by then I'd failed to save Kate. Uh, it's Kate Marsh, isn't it? Um, which was which was shocking. I thought I did not think that was going to go that way, but anyway. Um, so I felt like it was a relatively easy decision. But I suppose that's like you said a moment ago, Lucy. That's the point of the decision, which is: do you choose the personal choice that matters to your heart, or do you choose the logical choice that matters to your head? Um, it's probably no. Is there a right answer? Even now, I don't know. And that's that's the great thing about the game and the way it's structured is it it got me thinking constantly. Um, how did how did you did you reconsider your opinions of Max and Chloe after playing Before the Storm? Is that question directed to me or to Declan? Sorry, either of you take take it, Lucy. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I. Uh, so, in relation to Before the Storm, I definitely developed a deeper sympathy towards Chloe. I think that mm. game gave us, and, and I thought it was beautiful. Uh, the, the way the game was constructed was amazing. And some of the most beautiful moments in the Life is Strange series, I think, is in Before the Storm. And I think we see a lot of behavioral tendencies in Chloe in Life is Strange that actually come from Rachel Amber in Before the Storm. And we see two vulnerable people who a lot of their patterns are almost trauma responses. We see them pushing boundaries because life is pushed against them. So they're challenging uh, the circumstances around them and trying to deal and come to terms with what's happening to them, even though they have a very different backgrounds. Um, so I think being able to see that, I absolutely love Chloe. <laughs> I don't necessarily condone everything that she does. I feel like she takes Max for a little bit of a ride and pushes her. But Chloe is one of those people. And I think this especially comes to light in Life is Strange, who has the wisdom, partly through some of the terrible things that she's endured, to realize that people are human and that they make mistakes. And even though what Max did to her was unforgivable, she realizes that life is short and precious and she isn't willing to throw that love away. And she has this really big heart and that's what helps them reunite. And to have that kind of 
wisdom and understanding and to let go of that bitterness is such a mature thing to do. It's something that a lot of so-called adults struggle with, myself included. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I think she's... Uh, she, I think Chloe is a supernatural one, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, agreed, agreed. Um, I, I don't have any intelligent words to say other than she's awesome. <laughs> she is awesome. She's hella yeah. awesome. <laughs> she is hella awesome. Yeah, and you know that's a that's a very good point we should just make, which is um, I forget you can look it up on Wikipedia the sort of the production notes, but Ashley Birch voiced chloe in the first game life is strange she wasn't available uh, i guess it was a scheduling conflict to voice chloe in before the storm and i thought um that would be a problem but actually it wasn't the voice actor and i'm afraid i don't know her name she just felt natural it just felt like chloe even though it's slightly different voice to to ashley birch she did a fantastic job um filling the shoes of of a very accomplished voice actor with a very popular character um I thought that was uh, that that was excellent. It was um, one of my uh, sorry. Go on, Lucy. Go oh, ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say. I think that in Before the Storm, if we've played it as a prequel, if we've played it after our experience with Life is Strange, we know what's coming, which it adds a a bit of an off taste to it, but. We get to feel at home with Chloe in a way. We do get to understand her better. And I think that's really nice. Yeah, agreed. Did you play Before the Storm, Declan? Uh, I haven't, no. It's on my list. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. There are uh, there are just some... Ec- do you know it's funny? Um, the art style is very simplistic. As I said earlier, it's got this watercolour feel to it. Um, the character models are very, very simple. I guess you'd say they're quite a low polygon count or something fancy like that. But what's fascinating about the game is they're still so expressive. Um, I don't know whether they're mo-capped, but then kind of applied over a very simple mesh or, or whether they're they're hand animated. But in Before the Storm, Chloe, despite the way the like I said, despite the simpler art style, she's so expressive. You can see her yeah. nervousness. Like she, she wrings her hands when she's going into nervous situations. She's so expressive with her eyes, her mouth. It's it's a really clever trick. I don't want to say trick because that undermines all the hard work of the animators. But it's genuinely fantastic that this this game with this very simple style can it can express all this emotion visually rather than than just through um, conversation. Uh, my favourite scene is. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you'll remember this scene. It's just a, just one line. Um, there's a Shakespeare play being put on at the yes. high school. And uh, <laughs> through a sequence of events, um, Chloe is asked, <laughs> the, the, the producer <laughs> says, um, says something like, Chloe, what would you say if, if I told you that the, the entire weight of this production depends on you stepping in at, at zero notice? And she goes, I'd say you're super fucked. And it's just brilliant. <laughs> She just, I love the fact she tells it like it is, uh, but she's in, in before in life is strange. She's this really confident, you know, let's get stuff done, but she's quite vulnerable and, and nervous yeah. um, in before the storm. And it is, it would be kind of nice to replay them in order and get that yeah. chronological experience. Um, I don't know if I'll go back to it, if I'm honest, because 
there's some hard stuff in there, some hard decisions yeah. and hard scenes and hard conversations. Um, but um, it would be kind of interesting to do that experiment. If you could kind of reset your memory and then play them again, you know, as, as though it was the first time, that would be a good experiment. Stream it, James. That's, <laughs> you know, um, therapy. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not That's a just bad evil. idea. <laughs> Although I'm only halfway through A Plague Tale Innocence and um, I don't want to say the details yet because we're, we're not able to go public, but I'm currently working on another project, which um, <laughs> means I won't be streaming for a few more weeks yet, or at least not going back to Plague Tale. But I am, I do enjoy streaming. I'm really enjoying replaying um, Plague Tale Innocence. I'll definitely move on to Plague Tale Requiem after that. But at the, at the rate that I stream, <laughs> that's about six months. So uh, I would like, I w- it would be nice to go back to Life is Strange um at some point so i have a question then Mm. i haven't read them but i know of them and i disagree with them but we've talked a little bit about the ending of life strange one now do any of you feel that the developers square enix creating a comic where they set a canonical timeline of the town being destroyed kind of undermines the ending because it is a 21 comic series i believe all set with chloe and max after the town is destroyed and apparently that is like a canon timeline they don't say it's a canon ending they say it's a canon timeline but doesn't it kind of undermine the two choices if there's a 21 comic series about the town being destroyed uh so i know there's comics i didn't realize they actually sort of picked a side if you like um between the two decisions so if if you read the comics they're assuming that you picked chloe yeah so the comics is basically max and chloe's life together after the events of the town being destroyed and that is their canonical timeline of events after the town's being destroyed and they do class it as canonical timeline they don't class it as mechanical ending but it undermines the ending in my opinion because what's Mm. the point of making two choices if one choice is going to have a bigger outcome than the other if that makes sense yeah that's where (laughs) i mean how, how do you how do you have a consistent universe if the player can make choices like that <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> i don't think you can square that circle can you really um maybe you can oh go on um i don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> i think i better <laughs> preface that but <laughs> i think <laughs> time is just one of those nebulous concepts where we're debating whether we've created it or whether we've given a name to something that actually does exist. But I think if, I mean, I'd have to read the comics before I could say that. And I think it's, it's nice to have that option because everyone is curious about what would, what would it be like if Chloe and Max could run off together into the sunset? I think that's something we'd, we'd all love to learn about, but Mm. um, you know, it's the ultimate renegade tale in a way. But I think with time, if you think of time as linear, 
um, then it is problematic. But the fact that they specify it's another timeline, an alternate timeline, I think that's its saving grace, perhaps. But again, I'd actually have to read it. It depends how it's done. Um, I, I don't think there's necessarily, and playing video games has taught me this, I don't think there's necessarily one definite path that you could take um, in your lifetime. And I'm trying to think of how to sum this up and have it make sense. But I think there's an argument that, and, and I'm hopefully people will correct me on this, um, a universe is full of infinite possibilities, right? A universe in general, not just in the video game. And if anything is possible, at some point you're going to have a parallel or alternate universe that kind of corresponds to the one that we're in. Um, so there's another Lucy somewhere who's uh, probably uh, asleep with her cat on her lap right now, or or there's Declan reading his Shakespeare, <laughs> and there's <laughs> and the, and there's James uh, James troubling people on Twitter like <laughs> like he loved to do yeah. it in that other universe. <laughs> but um, do you know what I mean? So I yeah, it's hard because we always want to have a definitive ending that gives us closure and makes us feel satisfied but it's not always that clean cut i think life is strange shows us that it's it's really the content of the path that we take that's important perhaps maybe i mean i i don't really like saying that because it's choices and consequences so obviously the consequences have to count for something timey wimey wibbly wobbly <laughs> i think <laughs> uh, i think for me it was more the case of well, I heard about that comic. It, I know, I'm not being disrespectful because I think it's a great idea. I kind of felt like that was like the easiest story to follow. For me, I would have loved to see in a story where Max remembers that timeline with Chloe and the fact that she didn't follow that timeline and she sacrificed <gasps> Chloe. And a whole story of her trying to figure out if she can rip time again and go back and make the decision again and i think having a story where chloe and max keep bonding and bonding and bonding after the town was destroyed is great i'm not disagreeing yeah. but it's an easy story to tell but a story mm. where max has to remember it because a lot of comments i've had about the story is always about chloe and chloe's character but not a lot of people focus on max the fact of Max saw a lot and did she remember that timeline if she sacrificed Chloe because if she did that's hard she remembered yeah. Lucy falling she remembered every argument every fight every decision she went wrong and she remembers that timeline and I just think a story following onto that would have been more impactful because it would see that she has to live a life knowing that she failed and she couldn't mm. go back in time and fix it. Yeah. But I'm evil. I like to suffer a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to suffer a little bit more. Like these Telltale game, Star games are my favourite. I've played a lot of the years. And I just like to get every inch so I can suffer a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started to try to become human. That is a oh sore my top God. of my household. I'm oh, in trouble what an on that amazing one. game. What it amazing is, but... Game. My girlfriend doesn't like me with it, though. I don't know this is off topic, but... um, Wait, with which one, Declan? Detroit Become Human. Ah. 
I've, so again, a game I've started but not, That's not finished, a, gone through. Yeah, me okay. and my girlfriend played it together because we both like them. And she got, like, it narrowed to the good ending, so I'm not going to spoil anything. I came in and I made a choice. I fudged all her hard work <gasps> up. And oh. I accidentally got that ending. I wasn't bothered because I wanted 100% the game and get every ending. She wasn't happy. And I, I'll take the blame. I, I, I messed it up. But <laughs> I just like to get every ending. I want to know every detail because it's just like a book. I want to know every inch. Yeah. And that's what Life is Strange gives you, like, every inch. Mm-hmm. And even the Life is Strange one is great. And I've not played two, but I've seen um, uh, Let's Play a bit. Life is Strange 2 is good. I'm going to say True Colors is the best. Two is so good, Declan. You've got to play it. It's amazing. It's on my list. There's a lot <laughs> on my should list. We, should we talk two or should we talk True Colors next? See, I've I've played through Captain Spirit, which is like a intro, isn't it, to Life yeah. is Strange Two. Um, again, that's a great little story. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of storytelling in there. It's kind of what's the right word? It, it's um. It's a marvel of efficient storytelling and yeah. what you can do with just a few lines of dialogue, um, some interactable objects, uh, you know, obviously the, the, the sort of the, the set design, for want of a better word, of, of the, the house. I, I forget the boy's name. That's bad, isn't it? That, that the boy moves around in. Um, it's it it's Chris? a wonderful but I can't remember. That's really I think bad, it's isn't Danielle, it? isn't it? Daniel's the little brother in the, in the oh, yeah. Diaz brothers duo. I've got to look at Chris Erickson. Yes, well Chris. done. Yeah, um, that's that's a, a fantastic little intro. But that that's obviously the warm up to Life is Strange too. So, Lucy, Life is Strange too. Why is it great? Oh gosh, where do we start with that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think for me, and this is obviously speaking as someone who has never been subject to the kind of discrimination that. Daniel and uh, Sean have been subject to um, in the United States, which of course is racism and they're on the run. Uh, So a lot of the things that happen to them, they don't really have much of a choice, even though you make a choice as the player in the game. Um, But if, if you can look at the positive aspect of that, it's the fact that it draws on that theme of the American journey that's interconnected with nature and you have this tension between nature and survival and then you have other parts of the game where it's living within nature, um, self-discovery in nature, character growth in nature, and it's the coming of age story, right? The uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but the Bildungsroman, the ah, spiritual yes. awakening, and I, I've always been drawn to that. Um, I love Jack Kerouac's On the Road, and uh, we all like to romanticize that a little bit. Um, And I think there are lots of things I love about it, but what I really like about Life is Strange 2 is the fact that it offers an alternative to the American dream, which of course has failed a lot of people. And there are a few places you can uh, go to and actually live in that are off the grid. And it shows a completely different way of life, which is individualistic, which does 
follow the themes of self-reliance that have long been a part of um, American literary culture, obviously with um, Native Americans as well, um, in terms of living off of the land, but also with Emerson and Thoreau. So that's played on quite a bit. But there's this huge emphasis on community too. So this idea that in order to live in these off-the-grid communities, you have to build a strong relationship with your neighbor. You have to be there for each other. You have to be thrifty and intuitive and inventive. And the fact that it presents this kind of way of life um, for people that, that long for this lifestyle or for people that um, feel like they've been pushed into that lifestyle, uh, which if you've watched Nomadland or read the book, you'll see that um, a lot of the times it's because the industries that people worked in have failed them and the housing market, of course, has crashed and so on. A lot of these people are gravitating towards this lifestyle and, and just finding a different mentality and different way of living. And it shows Sean and Daniel that this type of life is open to them, which really comes into focus uh, at the end of the game when the biggest decisions are made. And that's what I really respected about this. Um, the other life uh, is strange games are great, but we don't really have a chance to experience those diverse communities within those games. And I think that's what stuck out to me the most. And also the theme of forgiveness and uh, abandonment, where they're coming to terms with the fact that their mother left them. And even though that's unforgivable, she does come good for them in the end. You understand why she left. You understood that she had a soul that called for a different life and she followed that calling because she couldn't pigeonhole herself into into the american dream again so even though she neglected her duty as a mother which should have come first um you can understand that uh, what she was doing when she made that decision and i think that added a lot of interesting layers to the story and made it really fascinating for me i can't wait to play it now i, I was going oh, to play it anyway i was gonna so it's um it's two and true colors that i haven't played and i own them and i just have a long backlog uh yeah i can't wait um i'm fascinated uh one so question that was my question lucy life is strange ripped my heart out mm. before the storm was kind of different but i think you felt the emotional impact because you knew where the story was going because it's a prequel. Um, Captain Spirit didn't have quite the same, I don't know how to describe it. It wasn't like a really visceral kind of, oh my God. It was this constant undercurrent of this is unsettling. Something here yes. is not right. The relationship is not right. Obviously the father is, you know, he's got, he's got um, uh, his alcoholic, alcoholism issues, isn't it? Um, but it wasn't like, it was, it was, yeah, it was a hidden threat, if you like. It sounds like Life is Strange 2 is more on that level of, it's going to rip my heart out again. Yeah. Um, okay. And... All right. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I am looking forward to playing it, but yes, I, I, I am forewarned now by how the, the Don't Nod writers uh, go about their business of ripping my heart out. So. All good, all good. I think Be careful will... of true colours then. <laughs> well, 
That was my next question. Declan, is True Colors going to rip my heart out again? Lucy, I don't know if you'll agree, but I personally feel True Colors will rip your heart out worse than Ooh. the first game, in my opinion. Really? Yes. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I say. What's your reasoning behind that? Let, let's unpack that, Declan. Let's go. <laughs> let's unpack it. Let's get Declan in trouble. So, it's not. I think it's because of Al, um, Alex Chen's powers. It they are what make him more impactful. So, with Max's powers, it's time travel. It's supernatural. It's no offense, but it's it's like a sci-fi trope. Yeah. To alter time, it, and that doesn't take away from the story or anything. It's just something I noticed. Whereas Alex Chen's powers is realistic and grounded because it's just a heightened sense of empathy every human can be empathetic and the fact of the whole story is about a loss that she faces and she uncovers the story by pe- by sensing other people's emotions and the life and the stories in their emotions that kind of hit home more for me because there's no way that that type of story can be false no way that story can be wrong to know someone's emotions and to see how they're suffering through emotions is really well done and there is um the one that sticks in my head the most is when you've um when you go after one person that you don't like and you blame him for the incident and you latch onto his emotions you see people looking at you you see the security cameras all pointed at him because that was that was his fear his paranoia and she could yeah. feel that in herself and that felt so heartbreaking that she had all this anger to this one person but he was suffering from paranoia he was yeah he was actually in as much pain as she was and with max's story of rewinding time that story is very much about max and chloe the pain them to have but with alex chen's sensing other people's emotions she is literally seeing everyone else suffer and everyone else's grief everyone else's anger and that is overwhelming and i think that's what kind of broke my heart that she can't she tells her brother's best friend about it but i think he just laughed it off because it's just it's something you can't sense but she has to live with that and she gets impacted on other people's emotions and that kind of just hit me more than life strange one for some weird reason yeah I get that for sure. So actually, that's um, that's a nice little segue. Each game gives us the player like a unique mechanic. Let's say, um, Max uh, develops or, or uh, um, uncovers that she has this ability to to rewind time just for just for a minute or two, so she can make different choices and explore those choices. Um, before the storm, I, I have to say, I really enjoyed this and it yeah. just, it was perfect for Chloe. She gets, uh, you, you have a little gameplay mechanic called back talk where, um, Chloe can basically be sassy as hell and uh, try, <laughs> try to win arguments that, that get her, should we say advantages in the plot to, to move the story in certain ways. And I found that brilliant, um, especially the back talk sort of, um, challenges where, you couldn't lose. You had to get four right answers in a, in a row. Yeah. 
or four four right responses, I should say, to, to move the conversation in the right direction to win the argument to, to progress. Captain Spirit, remind me, what was the was there a I don't think there was, was there a um Oh no, he he uses his imagination, doesn't he? He, he, he's the, the little boy's walking around his house and then there's certain interactions where he he pretends to be Captain Spirit and the game opens with him using quote-unquote magical powers but then you realise it's just his imagination and it's just adorable um, yeah. but also heartbreaking in, in that subtle, understated way. What's the, what's the special ability, special mechanic in Life is Strange 2? Telekinesis. Oh, right. Okay. And, and the little brother. Okay. So you and that can alter the plot, or that can alter what people do around you. I'm I'm fascinated how that is used. I need to play the game, obviously. I'm going to play the game, but just uh, just humor me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it absolutely does um, because you're not the one with the powers. You're acting as a mentor and a father figure as well as older brother. And you're trying to not only teach Daniel who is, oh, I can't remember how old he is exactly. He's quite young. And he's at an age where you're trying to teach him moral concepts, um, how to be a good person, basically, in very difficult circumstances because you're on the run. And there's a fine line between that and doing what you can to survive. Um, and, you know, venturing into more criminal ways uh, to survive. Um, you're trying to manage that, and you're trying to manage the fact that this young boy has this massive power that is extremely difficult to contain. It's, it's almost like a Star Wars story, in a way. Um, and you have to watch out for people exploiting him, which they do. So it's, uh, I would say it's central in a lot of ways to the relationship between Sean and Daniel and their relationship with the rest of the world around them. All right. Fascinating. I, I, I like what you said there, which is that's the power or that's the, that's the unique item in the game, but it's not you, the player that controls it, or at least not directly. I, I, I can't wait. You had my attention. Now you have my interest. Um, and Tell me, Declan, and True Colours, what is Alex's ability? It's something to do with emotions. Yeah, it's like um, a heightened sense, of, heightened sense of empathy. She can latch onto other people's emotions. Um, she calls it a curse, but she can like manipulate some of the emotions as well. So there is a scene where someone gets very angry at her brother and she gets absorbed by her brother's anger and becomes angry herself. So... <laughs> she can't really control the ability but the ability itself kind of opens up some really heartbreaking moments there's where you latch onto a shopkeeper's um emotional oh. sadness because she's developing yeah. dementia oh. and oh, damn. as you latch onto her emotion you see like you have to solve like um what's going on so she's got like a list missing and something else she needs to remember so you're trying to remember for her to help her Oh and God. you just see the whole world is breaking down. It pictures are starting to fade. And it's so heartbreaking because she can see that and no one else can. So she can feel that sadness and she has to put up with it. And I think that makes her one of the strongest characters because if you have to, 
if you have this curse where you are influenced by everyone's emotions, then how are you going to survive? Because everyone's got an emotion. <clears throat> Someday she's going to be happy, which is great. But there's a lot of times where there is sadness and she gets swept up in it and it is kind of heartbreaking, in my opinion. Yeah. That game broke me and still breaks me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I mean, it breaks you more, in my opinion, James, because it's not episodic. It's Oh, it's not? Okay. It's one whole game. You don't have to download little bits. It's one whole game. And because it's not episodic, you don't get that break. Between stories, so you can just mm. play it for hours, and then after a while, you realize you're under under the bed with some Hagen dolls and a cup of tea. Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we play these games? <laughs> eh? <sighs> Go on, Lucy. You wanted to say something. You've you've got your hand up. Yeah, I just had a question for Declan um, mm. before we we move on. And if you look at the construction of the previous Life is Strange games. Um, there's a lot of different themes going on, but I felt that Life is Strange True Colors is when the storytellers decided that we can have a good, happy ending <laughs> where there's a resolution to conflicts that emphasizes healing. Um, we don't really get um, endings in the other games that leave us feeling happy, but in True Colors... I think if you especially take the relationship between Steph, uh, that's Steph from the first game, James. I and... wanted to check this. Is because Steph is in Before the yeah. Storm. Is she in Life yes. is Strange as well? In True Colors, yeah. And you can actually oh, have a relationship with her. And if you play, uh, I think it's called Wavelengths, um, uh, you actually yeah. have a chance to... Uh, experience some of Steph's uh, process of, of going through the trauma uh, because that's <laughs> that's when obviously she's trying to come to terms with the fact that Acadia Bay has been destroyed. And I think what's really beautiful about it is that two broken people, because Alex has had a really rough life as well, um, can find solace in each other and heal with each other and support each other. And the fact that they find a family um, within uh, Haven Springs. And you can also choose to leave at the end of the game. But again, um, you get a sense that that's if you want to go towards something as opposed to running from something. And I just wondered what Declan's thoughts on that were because I, I felt like they actually wanted to give us um, a reason to sleep well at night <laughs> after putting us through hell in the previous games. I think, personally, I think it wouldn't make sense for Alex to have a bad ending because how I've always pictured Life is Strange from listening to two and playing one, with one, it's trying to, like, save Chloe in that whole moral dilemma, do save Chloe or do save the town. But with Alex's dilemma, it was more of, can Alex survive? The whole... It's a weird thing to look at, so I'm probably going to wrong, but... Alex can't control the powers. She can feel everyone's emotions and she feels isolated from the world because she doesn't deserve to be near anyone because she can't control abilities. And one of the most prominent scenes that highlights this is when she rescues the little boy. You know, he says, Oh, there's a monster, there's a monster. And it really hits home that she latches onto his fear and she sees that monster. And that's hard 
you know, she there's nothing there. There's no monster. She doesn't believe in it, but she has to for someone else to save them. And that, if they then give you like an option that was like really negative, it was like to me, what's the point? She's gone through so much hell. She's alone in a strange town. Nobody wants her. Every time someone's upset, she can be wrecked by their emotions. Every time someone's angry, she can be wrecked emotions. So she has to live a life dealing with everyone's emotions and her own. To say something evil at the end to make her break down more would just be like, yeah. do you hate Alex? Do you, do you actually hate Alex at this point? And for me, it was just like, she needed a happy ending. She needed somewhere she can grow. And going forward, so she leaves, she's working towards, it's kind of like she's working towards getting back into society. To yeah. In Colorado Springs, it's a village. You can easily learn to deal with everyone's emotions there. But in a city where everyone's going to be angry at car traffic, shopping, can she really go on that alone? And I don't think she could. She mm. couldn't. I think she would struggle. So... She needs some sort of happy ending. She, just, <laughs> she needs something. That poor woman, oh my God. To see someone, a world, someone's dementia fall down from their own perspective must have been heartbreaking for her. To have to like feel that childhood's primal fear of a monster in the dark and to feel that yourself as an adult must have hurt her. Because I've got kids of my own and I think I would feel terrible for them if they had a fear but if I could feel their emotion myself, I think I'd probably break down. I'm surprised she survived so long, bless her. <laughs> She's stronger than she gave herself credit for. I think that's one of the big realizations. I agree. And I think like she went to her brother because she felt like she had no other family. And then losing her brother, it was like whole thing of, ha, you've got no family. But she was wrong. A family is mm. not blood. A family is not just something that you have to be with. A family could be a community and that town became her family. And that's a very important fact that resonated with me because I have really bad vibes with my family. But I've grown a family from friends and that's why I resonate with Alex, that you don't need blood to be a family. You can just be a family of people who treat you with kindness. Family soul bound, I think. I agree. I think we need a cup of tea after this podcast. <laughs> For life is strange, bringing up memories. Oh, don't play the games. James, was, save me. Well, I'm going to make a non-serious point, and then I'm going to make a serious point. Um, so at the risk of ruining the tone, um, I would quite like Alex's abilities just for a little while so I could know what my dog is thinking and feeling. That would yes. be quite handy. I want to know what's his favourite toy. Where, what's his oh, favourite walk? That's you so know. awesome. Um, does does he like that. having his tummy scratch more or his ears scratch more? <laughs> you know, that's what I want to know. So if I could have that ability in a limited way, that would be nice. Um, but yeah, knowing other people's feelings just sounds like a nightmare. But on that point, so you, you mentioned earlier, and we've just come back to it about um, there's, a, there's a part in True Colour Story where Alex... I don't know how to describe it, having not seen it myself, but she she has the feelings or whatever as a connection to um, to someone with dementia. And that reminded me of one of the most moving um, stories or quests I've played in any of, of the open world games, which is um, there's a side quest in Horizon Forbidden West 
which deals with dementia. Um, you, you pick up the quest from, from talking to someone in one of the small settlements and straight away from the way they describe it, they say, look, there's there's an older member of the, the family. He sometimes wanders off and gets lost. And straight away, I thought, yeah, I think I know where this is going. And it, it was, it was a, it was a character with dementia who, who'd gotten lost in, you know, in the wilderness. Um, but he was, he, I forget the exact lines of dialogue now, but he was, he thought he was doing something that he'd done 20 or 30 years ago. And uh, I guess, again, it's, it's that personal connection, but a member of our family was suffering with dementia and he died last year. Not, not from, from that, from something else, but um, yeah, it really got to me, you know, um, but it was so well handled and well written. Um, and, uh, the, the lady that wrote that quest was was on Twitter. I think she may have been called out by one of the senior writers on Horizon and said, you know, this this fantastic story. Lots of people were saying this was really moving. You know, I'm just thanking the writer directly for for bringing that story to to video games because it's not a topic that's often discussed, is it? Um, no. So yeah, I I don't look forward to True Colors, but I also again I I I can't wait to play it and have the experiences you've had um i think personally the way true calls handled that moment with the shopkeeper was kind of well done because when you talk to her and you could see that she's struggling to remember stuff she keeps moaning now she's supposed to do something like her memory's slipping you then get a sense that alex doesn't like her abilities she sees them as a curse and for alex to then reach out connect with her emotions just to help the shopkeeper really drove Alex's personality that she knows that she hates ability. She knows she's going to struggle with this emotion, but she's going to help. And it was just like that moving aspect that your character does it because she wants to help. And the idea of embracing a curse to help someone else is not a trope that you use much in storytelling. So it was good to be something different. And I think it was kind of handled really well and kind of broke my heart to be honest why do we play these games do you know what we're (laughs) going to call this episode we're going to call it episode 154 let's get sad (laughs) (laughs) that's what we're going to call it i think it's funny because like i i got into these type of games from a game that i don't know if you guys ever heard of because um it's got two names, Project Indigo and Fahrenheit. Not heard of those those before. Have you not? Let me just get it up again. Um, Project Indigo. It is a Telltale type game. How do you call Fahrenheit? I'm dyslexic here. F A R E N. I'm not sure on the rest. So of it. I'd wait for autocorrect. <laughs> um, Project Fahrenheit it was done by Quantic Dreams. Oh yeah, Ooh. and. Basically, it was a man who commits a murder while supremely possessed. So, and you have to make decisions to alter the narrative to learn about, you know, the, the murder you commit while you're possessed. But it's like a two thousand page script they created for that story, and that's what got me into these games because I played that when I shouldn't. I think I was about eight when I played it. So, um, I was very naughty, but I played it no on the word. PlayStation 2 and the Xbox. <laughs> and to have a game where it was so much about the choices and everything you did wrong, 
and had impact and there was so much weight behind it that yeah. when someone told me about Life is Strange, I was like, nobody can make a game where decisions are going to feel like a gut punch. Because that was my first ever narrative game and playing Life is Strange and getting that whole gut punch like, oof, crikey, I did not know somebody could do this. It just blew me away that they could tell stories that way. And now I don't want to replay them. But I want to play number two. I, think, <laughs> I don't think they're the type to replay. <laughs> I think number two may break my heart more than anything because I'm an older brother. And I did grow up as a father figure for my brother, trying to teach him how to eat, get dressed, tie shoes. And if I have to play that role in a video game with a little child who needs to survive and has talent its powers, I'm going to break down. I'm not going to survive. I'm going to have Hagen Dazs on tap or Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> and a few therapy sessions. <laughs> Definitely a few Absolutely. therapy sessions. I think, um, you know, the Lucy quest in Life is Strange 1, where if you get it wrong, she jumps off the roof. I, uh, Kate Marsh. Kate it? Marsh, that's the one. Again, my name's mixed up. I won't lie, I played that episode on a Wednesday. I went to bed. I got up the next day and I uninstalled Life is Strange for a week. Because oh. I just couldn't mentally cope. I was like, nope, turn off. And I just didn't touch the game for a whole week and installed it and everything. I was just like, I think mean, it was the hardest one to get 100% because I had to replay it and get the best choice. But yeah. I was like, no. I've got a question about that, but Lucy's got a hand up. So Lucy, let's go to you first. Yeah, I was just um, I was just going to quickly mention that the name of the shop in uh, True Colors is Lethe's Flowers, which is really interesting. If you go back to the legend of Lethe. And oh, Lethe's Water. An... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I actually had a question for both of you. If you look at the importance of video games, especially story-driven games over the past decade, when they've really come into their own, and you look at the idea of the epic hero and previous forms of literature and so on. How, that's just as an example, I'm not, I'm not relating it to what's going on here with the reluctant hero. But how important do you think these types of games are uh, culturally and socially when we're giving people the opportunity to see something that's maybe representative, something that maybe exposes us to a different perspective maybe challenges our belief systems. We think that we're set in our moral and ethical um, uh, trajectories, but then we play this game and it kind of blows it in every direction. I mean, what, what do you think about games like this, which specifically do that? Do you want to take that one, Declan? Um, yeah, because I actually have an idea on that one. Weirdly enough, I actually have an opinion for once. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually kind of think these kind of games are vital and we need more of them yeah. because all of the topics they are talking about in these games are topics I've read before in literature like I'm a massive book nerd since the age of nine so every topic Life Strange has covered I've read about in some form of poetry, play or anything and that is such a restrictive medium because some people are like me dyslexic and struggle reading some people don't like books so having a more visual interactive narrative to tell the same stories that are 
quotation marks taboo and post and supposed to post to paid pages and locked in a library to have them in society in your face to read it kind of stops people from looking at a book in the library and now nah, I won't touch that subject if that makes sense yeah I'm I'm thinking about Lucy's question and I'm not sure how to answer it. Um, well, how does the interactivity of it change things? Like the um, the fact that you have agency and the fact that you have a proximity of people. Like when Declan uh, talked about having that relationship with Chloe and knowing Chloe and caring about Chloe versus uh, the rest of the citizens in uh, mm. in Arcadia Bay. Yeah, how does that how does that change things for you? Right. This might connect with two questions that I scribbled down, or two, two related questions I scribbled down a few minutes ago. Um, I, want, I wonder if you could play these games two ways. Neither of them are wrong, but I know what I did, and maybe what I did will answer your question. So give me a minute to, to think through things and try and explain it. So... I think you could sit down in front of these kinds of games and you could analyze it as a game and you could say, right, what are the systems? What do I think the goal is? Okay, I am going to effectively game the system. I'm going to try and take the decisions um, that get the outcome I think the game wants me to have. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's um, dangerous. Uh, maybe. Now, the way I played <laughs> it was... You ask good questions, Lucy. Um, the way I played it was I tried... Okay, actually, Jesus, this is getting complicated. Right. I think there's, <laughs> there's probably two further ways you could... Uh, I'm thinking of Life is Strange 1 here because um, it's the one I probably know best and it's certainly the one that left an impression. It's one of those very small handful of games that left a lasting impression, I would say. Um, you could play it in two ways. You could say, right, I, the player, am Max. I am going to, this might be very meta, I am going to make Max take the decisions that I would take based on my moral compass. Or you could say, I am playing as Max. I'm going to take the decisions that I think Max would take based on how I interpret her character, based on what the game's telling me about her character. Do those yeah. do those three options make sense? Now, the first option is, for me, not a preferred one. That, that would be like walk, looking up the IGN walkthrough and just <laughs> clicking all the right dialogue options to get to the conclusion. And I think that's probably not the magic that the writers <laughs> intended. Um, so, wait, remind me of your question, Lucy. <laughs> I've lost my thread. <laughs> well, I think those are all quite valid uh, criteria to go by. And I, mm. I use all of those, actually, when I'm playing games. Um, not all the mm. time together, but I think it checks out. Um what do you think is the social and cultural importance of games like this in our society where we do have the opportunity to step into other people's shoes? And we're also 
at a time in our society when everything is digitized and we're questioning um, what's important, what isn't important, how are we documenting this, uh, because technology changes so quickly that we're having trouble keeping up with it. And I think video games is a unique medium in that despite the amount of material that's coming out every year, it does give us the moment to stop and think and uh, internalize the human condition, I guess. So maybe it's one of the new mediums that's come out or the new forms of technology that's come out that ties us back to being human. I don't know. Maybe I'm projecting too much here and answering my own question. I don't know. No, but what does no, it you're, mean you're to helping you? me think through stuff. Um, I'll answer it this way. Um, video games, I, I returned to gaming actually around about four years ago. Actually, around right, right around now, four years ago, when I, I built my PC, the one I've got now next to me, and started playing. And that's after a 10-plus year break. And, and before that break, um, I played Sims and I played RTS <laughs> games. The Total War series, but even then, even even ten years ago, I played the older versions of all of those because I just didn't have the money to to keep up with with PC um, specs and and gaming, you know, minimum requirements and so on. So I, it's it's only in the last four years that I've really gotten back into gaming, and, and in the last eighteen months that I've started to play a much wider variety of games. Um, I think one way to to look at your question is you you can treat a story like life is strange or any any of the stories in this franchise as like a sandbox to play in yeah um a sandbox where you know what i am not an 18 or 19 year old woman or or girl like like max is in life is strange one i am not captain spirit Chris, who's probably what nine or ten? I was nine or ten a long time ago, but um, <laughs> a long mostly time I ago, huh? most exactly, exactly. <laughs> mostly I played with Lego and, and Matchbox cars. But anyway, um, but it's it's a way, absolutely a way of broadening your mind, of trying to yeah have experiences that either you never had or that are now beyond you, <laughs> just because of basically. <laughs> passage of time or biology or whatever i hear you um so i find them fascinating and i, I would say just on a personal note i as i've gotten older um i have become a lot more open-minded um and Good i job. challenge myself cons- constantly um to to keep broadening my opinion um I don't mean like I was a particularly nasty person, but I was probably just very insular and closed-minded. Mm. Um, I probably maybe that comes with age, or do people become normally become more closed-minded as they get older? I don't know. Um, but yeah, and I think all games, but especially these very narrative-heavy ones, the the stories where there is no clear right or wrong. None of the characters are perfect. There are no heroes here, that's for sure. Um, yeah. There are people confronted with shitty situations trying to make the best decision or maybe just the least worst, which yeah. is often like real life. Um, Definitely. So I, I mean, like I said in, my, in, in the intro to the episode, you know, I'd never played this kind of graphic adventure game 
until four or five months ago. Um, and I think they're awesome. <laughs> and I will finish this franchise. I played Tell Me Why, which is, again, by Don't Nod, but it's its own standalone story. And I will be looking out for others in the future. Um, I think they're great. You know, I, I enjoy my my more complex games. I enjoy parkouring off of rooftops. Um, but, yeah, these stories have really got something. Um, yeah. That may not be a great answer, but it's probably the best answer I can give. No, it's wonderful. I, I think your answer is probably what a lot of developers are aspiring to achieve when they put their heart and soul into these pieces of art, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've I've got a playlist of um, various Life is Strange story analyses, critiques, character analyses to, to, to listen to on many future dog walks because I do like finding a good video essay. Um, helps you sort of <laughs> yeah. understand and and whatever. I, I found that yeah. after playing um, The Last of Us Part Two, I oh. needed some catharsis, and I found some fantastic <laughs> um, video essays, um, which were great to help sort of come to terms with the characters, the stories, the motivations, the the morality, and so on. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely the same for some of these stories. Yeah. I was going to ask you both the same, actually, particularly for Declan, who's who's hundred percented Life is Strange. Did you set out to do that? So did you look up that you need to take certain decisions at certain points? Or did you just play the game naturally, let's say, and it you, you gradually earned those achievements through doing that? Um, first playthrough was naturally, but when I play those type of games, because like I said, I started with... Project Indigo, which Content Dreams, I knew how I played that, that I would search every corner of the game and I would do every single prompt because I knew if it was going to be like one of those interactive games that a conversation with an NPC that you would ignore because it's not good at quest point could drastically affect the story. So on my first natural playthrough, I think I was at 98%. Because I still had, you know, some of those other choices to make that I didn't make. But I found all the collectibles and all the little things. Because when you play an interactive story, you don't go and hoe for the story. You open the world and yeah. you see what you can find. Yeah. All right. Um, right at the start of the episode, Declan, you said that this type of storytelling you felt there was connections there to Assassin's Creed where we explore an ancestor's memories. Tell us more. Is this where I'm going to get in trouble with the community? <laughs> oh, undoubtedly. I think essentially where I was trying to go with it is Assassin's Creed games are just open and shut. You do basic open worldy linear stuff. But when you look closer at the comics and the stories, they're very much single linear. There's no choices. There's no gameplay mechanics. So looking at, I'm going to use a recent book that me and you have both read, James. Magnus Conspiracy. That sort of story yeah. could be played in A Life is Strange, if that makes sense. That linear ancestor story, you know, you could tell a story where an ancestor um, called Bob, for example, his first name came to the head, 
watches the whole assassin clan get destroyed. And your choices through the whole narrative is to rebuild the Brotherhood. But do you build it by following the creed, following the tenants, and going away off that way? Or do you build it by doing whatever you want for vengeance? And you could have those interactive story moments that could feel meaningful and impactful. I kind of think if you could tell the story right. But it probably wouldn't be a game the community would enjoy because there'd be no parkour or jumping off rooftops. It'd be more an ancestor's story as they learn to survive being an assassin, if that makes sense. It does. I think there's a way you could do it that obviously there are some fans who are more relaxed. I think I'm one of them. And there are some who like that strict genetic memory construct. But I think there's a way you could do what you're saying that would satisfy both. And that would be to have two protagonists that survive and one chooses a path of revenge and one chooses a path of peace or whatever the two kind of roots are and you play them both one after the other so you get the full experience but it gives you two different styles of gameplay two different styles of you know completing the story you could choose just to do one um and then move on but then you could go back and play the other that might work i am available for game design of course to be hired Um, that that would be a terrible idea (laughs) no I think it would be great there you are Declan we're sold I'm sold (laughs) I think it was also um, if we can touch briefly on it because I do want to do a bigger episode dedicated to it but I Mm. think it was telling me why that actually has more of a impact to how Assassin's Creed could tell stories than anything because of the way Tammy White uses memories for his narrative. Yeah, that was fascinating. I I, I just finished playing that a few weeks ago. Um, it didn't grab me the same as Life is Strange. It's probably, it's definitely a more mature, is that really fair? Hmm. It's got a different tone. That's the, that's the fairest thing to say. It's a shorter story, but it's, fantastic have you have you played it lucy no i've just uh i played oh. the first episode or chapter yes. and then yeah read read ahead <laughs> gotcha yeah. gotcha um yeah it's got a really fascinating mystery um and how that mystery is uncovered um is evolves over the three chapters and like you say declan it it hinges at the centre in the two twins having different recollections of key events. Um, people don't remember things consistently. So what do you think? How, how would you use that in an Assassin's Creed format? Do I have to answer? Yep. I'm going to get in trouble again. Yeah, but we're shining the bright light on you now. You need to tell us. <laughs> it's something that I've been arguing internally about since I'm going to say Syndicate was when I first came to the idea but Assassin's Creed oh, I really hate you put me on the spot Assassin's Creed you plays too safe <sighs> right okay 
Assassin's Creed, in my opinion, plays too safe with memories. Okay. It tells memories as fact. There's no cultural influence. There's no emotional influence. They are fact. It happened. It happened. Move on. But as Valhalla shown, and it has shown the greatest rift in, in the community, people don't like the idea of how someone, if someone remembers a past life from a mythological lens, that's wrong. Because it has to have truth. But with how life is strange, how truth tell me why it works, is there is a lot of points where they see this shadow figure, this hunter that's coming after them, and it's supernatural, it's mm. dark, but that's emotion, that's grief, that's sadness. Why can't Assassin's Creed not use that? You know, as something I've argued, you can have a story where your ancestor saw a Templar burn your parents' house down, but you see it as a ghost. Why can that not be played that in your okay. memory you see a ghost? Do you know what you might be describing there? What? The djinn. Yes. See, that is where I've always tried to come across with Mirage. That whole fact of just because that mythological lens is there doesn't mean it's not an appropriate story tool. Yeah, you do need something to un- un- unravel it, but tell me why when you figure that out yourself as a player, you, the game doesn't tell you it's an emotion. The game doesn't hold your hand and say, yeah, yeah that's, true. that's what it is. You know yourself that is an, that it's an emotion. And that's something I feel Assassin's Creed could play on. The fact of a memory is tainted by an emotion. And it'll be our choice as a player to deduce that. And you can, if games that tell me why and Life is Strange can help, give you the medium to deduce certain philosophical points. I believe Assassin's Creed can do the same. But it's the same with my argument with Odyssey. And tell me why again. Why can't you have played one playthrough as Cassandra and every memory you play is how Cassandra saw it, but then you can play as Alexios as Diamos and every memory he encounters is opposite to what Cassandra saw. So you get both stories intertwined, but everyone sees them different. And Tammy White does that fantastically because the brother has anger towards his mom. So he yeah. sees the memory one way, but the sister is more relaxed because she sees it different. That can play heavily in Assassin's Creed. A Templar story where someone's big-headed arrogantness towards the Templar's blind hatred shows a memory where Templar doing something as simple as healing a sick kid is wrong, it's evil, it's horrible, so you have to kill him. But if you play as the character where they're a bit more level-headed, they search for the clues, they see that actually this Templar wants is healing sick kids. It's not a bad act. Let's not take him down. You know what I mean? It's that intricate thought process Assassin's Creed doesn't do yet, but they should try it. And I hope that makes sense. Yeah. It, it does make sense. Hey, Lucy, if you, please um, please follow up if you want to. Well, I think Declan just described it beautifully, actually, uh, the way he laid <laughs> it out. It would be difficult to do gameplay-wise in terms of balancing the stories um, and keeping the pacing going. But, I mean, why, why can't it be possible? Um, but I think as well... The whole idea of mythology itself, just going back to that a bit, is a little bit disheartening to me that the community 
throws its arms up in despair over it because mythology isn't something that we necessarily have to take literally, uh, especially these days. It's something that helps us come to terms, contextualize, process our own emotions and relationship with life. And that is one of the great strengths of mythology, uh, why we have those stories. And I would recommend to a lot of people, of course, this is a very Western biased uh, book, um, and it doesn't give you the full scope of the rest of the world. It can be reductive in that way, but I would recommend people to read The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell. And he refers to monocultural events like Star Wars and how they present the archetypal hero and how that is culturally important to us to, to have this myth, this collective ethos to develop together. And I think video games are a great way to play on that. So when people are discarding mythology um, as these fairy tales with monsters, there's so much more to it than that. And I think Declan summed it up beautifully how um, a person's traumatic experience, how their grief could be manifested in the form of a monster. And we could even argue that sometimes we struggle so much today because we don't have those stories uh, as present. But video games bring us back to that. And actually, uh, there's a really wonderful game, I haven't played through it yet, called Kasima Ingetuna. And this focuses on uh, the folktales of the indigenous peoples uh, in Alaska. And they actually, to develop this game, went to the elders in the village and spoke with them because there's this real fear that these oral traditions are being lost. And uh, this is one medium that, okay, it's not the same. It doesn't carry the same resonance as it would have uh, a long time ago. But video games as a medium can take that form and uh, bring new life to it and introduce it to whole generations of people all around the world. So I think mythology gets a really bad rap. I think we all need to pay a little bit more attention to it and we can learn a lot of good life lessons from it. Well, look, I'm not going to get in trouble with the community. Huzzah! <laughs> <laughs> See, this is kind of why I actually do want to talk about Life is Strange and tell me why. Because these games do show that cultural influence in those stories and not a lot of people get to see them because... Yeah. They, I, I only discover them because of books and you shouldn't have to just discover something by going to a library. You should be able to go home on your sofa and switch on a game and have them emotions and learn about them because... A game shouldn't just be about mindlessly turning yourself off and mashing buttons or it shouldn't yeah. just be about focusing on how to build a house or a strategy. It should also be about feeling pain, love and life. And maybe Life is Strange is those games that make you feel truly human because it makes you feel sadness. It makes you feel happiness and it breaks your goddamn heart. But... <laughs> Yeah. Why shouldn't you have your heart broken now and then? Because that's life. Yeah. And it's better a video game breaks your heart than something real. At least yeah. a video game you can turn it off and Val to never return. Crawl <laughs> <laughs> into a corner wailing. <laughs> exactly. For a while. Yeah. Just uninstall the game, put it in a lockbox, and crawl in a corner. You know, I've just had a bit of a dark thought. I don't know whether this is 
good thought or not. Great. Do, do you wonder if going through these stories and experiencing these strong emotions, they can almost be preparation for experiencing those emotions in real life? I don't know. I don't even know if there's an answer to that, but maybe not. But That's uh, ominous. <laughs> but I just think, you know, it, it's make-believe. Like I said earlier, it's a sandbox that you play in, but ultimately there's a game. It's a story. You can walk away, but they can help you to meet characters, meet, go through situations that you wouldn't see in reg- on a regular day. So I wonder if if there's something there. I don't know. Um, just I... popped into my head. I will have to agree that, yes, there is something there. Um, something I don't really talk about much because it's just something you don't talk about. But yeah, I do suffer from mental health problems and have done for 12 years now. But Life is Strange has helped me understand certain emotions. When you have depression, anxiety, you struggle with how to regulate emotions and how to live. And playing life is strange and feeling them emotions in a controlled environment. I do believe that they've helped me understand what certain emotions are and how they can help me in life. Which is very weird because I've only ever had to deal with sadness and anger through real life events and not knowing how to control them. So having a visual medium where I can control them kind of gives me preparation on how to help myself when I'm older. Interesting. I don't want this to sound flippant, but it's almost like it's almost like a prescription. I'm going to prescribe that you. I know it sounds silly, but I can't think of a better way to explain it. But I'm going to prescribe that you you experience this story and these characters' emotions because they will help you prepare for your own. I, I, okay, I, I thought I was maybe just I'd gone a bit crazy there, Declan. But what you've said kind of suggests that yeah, that that can happen. Um, with the right game and good storytelling and so on. Everything um, can help. Yeah. <laughs> <Look>. <laughs> true, true. Lucy, you put your hand up. What, what, uh, what did you want to say? Yeah, I think um, I think that's a pretty big thing to talk about, Declan. So uh, solidarity with you on that. Um, but I, I think as well, James, what you talked about and questioning that, you've just summed up what a lot of people would argue the sole function of art is, right? Art is our response to life, how we deal with life, how we process life, how we reveal the beautiful and the terrible. And Mm. I think that's especially important these days when we're seeing arts programs being cut. We see um, a class system which has never really gone away. Uh, We're seeing a lot of elitism increase in art as it's becoming more difficult for people from Uh, underprivileged communities uh, to access the arts. Um, And, you know, we're seeing more people, we're seeing the humanities get knocked out of more and more things. We're seeing critical thinking being clamped down on. And uh, we're really losing touch with, with arts in a lot of ways. And then we have video games. And that's something that if you're able to access, Uh, It brings you right back into that world. And it's so vital because right now it's something that um, connects us to each other. So we can discuss these things. And that is the function of art is to bring us all together, is to remind us of what it is like to be human and what is so beautiful about being human. So it's just serving art's purpose, I would argue. Well, 
you know, that feels like a good note to end the conversation. Because I don't think we can say it better than that. Video games as art, video games as emotional experiences. What do you think, Declan? I agree. I think Lucy has summed it up perfectly. And yeah. <clears throat> it's really good to actually talk about these games because there are they're a medium that's not really talked about much and a medium that I think more developers should pop up and try and make. And I would buy the hell out of them. Yeah. Do you know, it's yeah. it's a funny thing. I'll just say, like, I not, not in the last few weeks because there's been a lot going on with, with work and other projects, but I do, do tend to uh, tweet a fair bit about games that I am playing and what I think of them and all the rest of it. It's always the Life is Strange updates and tweets that get the most interaction, the most people saying, I played it, I loved it, or generally hold on to your heart, all that sort of stuff. Um, these games, I don't know, maybe there's some sort of self-selection of demographics there, I have no idea, but these games seem to leave an impression on people um, more than some of the other stuff I play, um, which I just find interesting, you know, from just from a little anecdotal point of view. So um, we've kind of run through a little bit, a very, very fast journey through the Life is Strange franchise. We've chatted a little bit about um, Tell Me Why. Any, any other final thoughts, Declan? Um, no, I think we've covered everything. All right. Uh, Lucy, where can people find you, follow you? <laughs> Usually follow you're you giving virtually, me a hard time, physically. James. <laughs> <That's weird>. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, they'd soon run in the opposite direction, I assure you. But um, that's really kind of you to do. Uh, it's not very active right now because I'm working on a writing course, but if you go to fetchquestjourneys.com, and that's where I have a lot of, um, right now, a, a project on poetry that's inspired uh, by experiences in video games, and I also cover some of the grueling moral and ethical dilemmas that mm. we face in video games, and there's a couple Life is Strange uh, posts on there, or there's one actually, I'm sorry, uh, on there as well. Very good. Thank you very much. Well, uh, Declan, do you want to do your epic closing of the show? <laughs> I love my wrap-ups. <laughs> it's like Christmas wrapping up everything. <laughs> so, um, I thank everyone for listening to this episode. These off-topic ones are very important because, as you can see, <clears throat> I have a lot of passion for these games, so does James. And Lucy is also a great guest to talk, and as we do these off-topic ones in the future, we will be getting community people involved, just as we do with Assassin's Creed. So nothing will change. It'll just be random games that are just as epic. And I have a lot of games to discuss in our little backlog of catalogs. <laughs> so thank you, everyone, for joining. Um, if you want to discuss your feelings about Life is Strange, you can email us at assassinscreedletstalk.gmail.com. Or if you also want to tweet us about suggestions for games you want to talk about or you'd like us to talk about you can on um at ac at ac let's talk on twitter and at james Deliquid. and we'll see you all next week see you soon <laughs> see y'all nice and i forgot to click stop wait i'm gonna <laughs> click stop now this will be the proper professional ending of the show